0: Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the Recap. This is the November 20th episode. We are in First Chronicles. Do we go into second? Nope. First Chronicles. Nope. Amos and Hebrews. We're only in
1: three books this week. And we start James. We started James.
0: Oh, that's right. We started James this week,
1: which was good. Totally insignificant. But did you notice the bread baker? The bread baker? We find it. Yeah, a Levite called Mattathiah, the firstborn of Shalom the Korahite, was entrusted with baking the bread. This is are listing. This is the Levites. It's chapter nine, so I think this is temple related. Anyway, I was like, hmm, if I ever open it, if I ever open a bakery, there's a name idea.
0: Not Canadian bacon. I still <laughs> think you're wrong on that one. Hey guys, if you're listening to this podcast, would you please tell Annika that she needs to start a bakery called Canadian Bacon?
1: I completely forgot about Canadian Bacon.
0: She's Canadian. She also forgets that she's Canadian.
1: I do forget often that I'm Canadian because I'm barely Canadian. (laughs) I just lived there. He's like, why does everyone call you Canadian? You're not Canadian. (laughs) And I said, thank you. This is the point that I'm trying to make all my life. I'm an American who was born in Canada and grew up there. But if you're born in Canada,
0: that makes you Canadian by definition. I am
1: partially, yes, but not quite as completely as most people.
0: Well, I think that's enough reason to own it just to be able to call your bakery Canadian Bacon. Canadian Bacon. It's Annika at divecollective.org. Please flood her (laughs) mailbox. I'd appreciate that.
1: (laughs) For the record, I have no plans to open a bakery in the near future.
0: Okay. So in First Chronicles, people. we're actually covering a lot. We do multiple double chapters this week.
1: Yes. And the first, quite a few, is just like genealogies. Mm-hmm. Lists and lists and lists of people. Chapter
0: 5, The Family of Reuben. The family of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Though Reuben was Israel's firstborn after he slept with his father's concubine, a defiling act, his rights as the firstborn were passed on to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. He lost his firstborn firstborn place in the family tree, and even though Judah became the strongest of his brothers and King David eventually came from that family, the firstborn rights stayed
1: with Joseph.
0: Wasn't Joseph the youngest?
1: Yes, I went, I looked back because I didn't remember that Reuben had done all of that. Me either. And so I looked back at that, but I don't remember where I ended up. But yes, I did not realize that Joseph received the birthright I mean he was the favorite his brothers hated him because he was favorite but maybe that was did he already know he was getting the birthright at
0: that point well yeah and Joseph doesn't get a tribe named after him it's his two sons Ephraim and somebody else Manasseh yeah and Manasseh they get the Mm -hmm. they get their tribes named after them so where everybody there's no Josephites there's Ephraimites and Manassites I don't know what you would call them so anyway i have so much confusion it's like i didn't just read this this past year i've completely forgotten like judah i thought judah was the firstborn
1: so that's wrong i am reading through the bible with a chart next year with <laughs> charts and charts and charts i'm not kidding i found a really good chart for the kings and the prophets that like shows all the timelines yeah. and who overlaps and i am 100 printing that out and 12 tribes may also be a helpful
0: one. I mean, like we have read the Bible a lot. We've grown up in the church for a really long time. We have just read through the old Testament in the last three months. And we're still looking at this and going, what, how is it so hard to keep track? And then even like looking back, you go and you look at Genesis and there's like stories tucked within stories. And that's how you end Mm -hmm. up forgetting because the story ends up being a side story to somebody else's story. Right. It's,
1: well, and just, there are a lot, like, I mean, let's give ourselves a break. There are a lot <laughs> of characters in this book and half of them have the same names yes. as like the names are repeated. So yes. so we were just talking about that. Don't Mark. be so hard on us, Erin.
0: Yeah. We were just talking in Mark about how many times Jesus was anointed because the gospels tell the story of the alabaster jar four different ways. And are they the same or are they different? And I've always looked at it and I'm like, oh, I thought that was Mary, but in Mark's gospel, she's not named, but in another gospel, if it is the same story, it is Mary. So it's like, maybe this is really God's way of like keeping us humble, right? Like that we would ever consider ourselves experts. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a completely, it's a baffling book. And the story is always a surprise every time you read it.
1: Yeah. Which I was reading somewhere this week and I don't remember where it was, but I was for some reason reminded about the fact that this book was written by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by men. So like yeah. those two things, there's like this tension. It's another one of those examples of like God and his word and who he is and how there's tension between like those don't, those don't add up. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the fact yeah. that this is, a human book and not a human book at all. Yes. And that God is capable of and has like preserved it as consistently as it has been preserved. You know what I mean? I hope I'm not saying anything terrible. (laughs) It makes me think of what you wrote the other week about clear enough. Like the things need to be clear are clear. Yes. And then there are other things that we get to explore and try to, trace through the story that's woven through all of these pages and sometimes we end out end up like on the other side of it not with a completely clear, clear answer picture. yes right i love that but that's okay mm-hmm. But like for me I, I can chalk that up to faith that's what it comes down to in the end like i trust that god is bigger than my understanding of his word and how it works exactly and i still want a chart though yeah
0: We're glad you're tuning into the recap, and we'll get right back to it shortly. But did you know we're going to be hosting a Bible reading plan challenge starting in 2021? We'll have incentives and accountability. And spoiler alert, listening to the recap will count as you're reading if you fall behind. If you're already reading along, maybe you could join our podcast as a guest. This challenge will be a fun and easy way to get your friends and family to dive into God's word with you. This way we can all be on the same page all year long. Please rate, review, and share the recap. It helps people find us and builds our community of believers who love God's word. Anything else from First Chronicles that stood out?
1: I just have a couple things underlined where it talks about the fact that things happened as a result of their disobedience. Mm. That's pointed out several times. Kind of leads me to my favorite thing in Hebrews, but I'm going to wait. I'll wait till we get there. In chapter, thir- in chapter 12, mm-hmm. we're back to where Saul is still alive and well,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's talking about men coming to help David, and it says in verse 22, at that time, men came day after day to help David until there was a great army, like an army of God. It's kind of cool.
0: That is cool. The Chronicles are definitely just trying to get down the facts
1: for history sake. Yes.
0: Yes. First it's almost James like it's telling the story.
1: Yes. It's like the, just the story is condensed into like bullet points almost. We, yes. like you said, it's not even really the story. It's just the facts.
0: Yeah. But they don't forget to include the part where David goes to the chest. He goes and gets the chest of God. They had left it in Obed-Edom, yes. which I kind of wondered, I don't know if this is where, oh yeah, I wrote down here at the end. Now they were ready. Right. The David, the elders of Israel, and the commanders of thousands started out to get the chest of the covenant of God and bring it up from the house of Obed-Edom. Now, Obed-Edom had been blessed and was incredibly fruitful while the chest of God was there. It says, and they went rejoicing because God helped the Levites, strengthening them as they carried the chest of the covenant of God. They paused to worship. Are you in 15? Yeah, I'm at the end of 15. I just, it was like thinking about how it had been with Obed-Edom and they had been blessed. And then it says the members of the choir and marching band were He-Man.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious.
0: He- <laughs> He-Man? He-Man, H-E-M-A-N, Asaph, who Asaph, by the way, is, um, we'll see him again, but he's the one of the guys that writes a lot of the Psalms in yep. um, Psalms. Um, Ethan with bronze symbols, Zechariah, Aziel, Shemaramoth, what I'm getting to the point is is that Obed-edom is in this procession. And I love that. I love that Obed-edom was housing the ark of the covenant and he was his family was being blessed while they left it there because they hadn't been carrying it correctly. And now he's in this procession in 19 through 22 it says as they're carrying the ark of the covenant.
1: So that was Where is he? Am I totally missing it? Um Okay, so I'll just read it.
0: He man <laughs> Asaph and Ethan. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It's okay. Yeah. Just that Obed-Edom was in that, and they went up from the house of Obed-Edom to get it. It just made me think of how beautiful it was that Obed-Edom was wanted it to go where it belonged, even though mm-hmm. he was receiving even it. Even though
1: he was being blessed.
0: Yeah, even though he was being blessed by having it in his place. Yeah. The other thing that I loved, that I'd never seen before, is that part that I just read. It says, now they were ready. David, the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands started out to get the chest of the covenant of God and bring it up from the house of Obed-Edom, and they went rejoicing, period. Because God helped the Levites, strengthening them as they carried the chest of the covenant of God, they paused to worship by sacrificing seven bulls and seven rams. They were all dressed in elegant linen. I was just thinking, like, they're in the middle of doing like this really, really hard work what should have been really really hard work carrying this really heavy thing and they're like whoa this is easier than it should be Hmm. let's stop and worship god for making this load easy like they were they were noticing that god was doing this thing and then they took the time to stop and worship him for making their their work light and i was like man
1: he even helped with that so that's the part that stuck out to me i love that you pointed that out because i did i like skimmed over that so my version that last verse it says because god helped the levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the lord which is where you get that yeah god was helping them carry it, with god's help they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams so he's also helping them
0: with, with the, the sacrificing part yeah. yeah
1: that's the part that stuck out to me that i thought was
0: I wouldn't have wanted to stop for fear that if I stopped when I started going again, it would be heavy. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I think about how sometimes I'm like, it's going easy and so I don't want to stop and case. Through. Yeah, in case in case Jesus. God stops working. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just was like, they took the time to stop. And I'm sure that sacrificing seven bulls was not quick. Like <laughs> no. <laughs> because they but he made their work light. They stopped and took the time to sacrifice seven bulls and seven rams. I mean, I knew that they were worshiping and I knew that David was putting on such a scene, you know, that his wife detested him. But this like really takes it to a whole nother level of the kind of worship ecstasy
1: they were experiencing. Yes. You know? Okay. So that's the, I was going to ask you about this because I didn't go back and look. Hmm when Michael is annoyed with David. Mm-hmm. Well, it's more than annoyed, It says she despises him in her heart. Yes. Do we know any other detail from the rest, from the other telling of that story? She just was mad because he was making a scene?
0: Well, you see, you get to see David's response to her. You don't see his response here. That's the only thing I can oh. think of that's different in the telling okay. of that story.
1: This makes me have so many questions about what actually happened that day. <laughs> He's naked. So many questions here. He's wearing a linen ephod in First Chronicles.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It just says he's leaping and dancing, but before that, it says he was wearing a linen ephod. But in Second Samuel, Michael says that he exposed himself in the sight of the slave girls like a vulgar person. And then you're right, David's response is that I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more, and that he would be honored by the slave girls. Yep. Yeah. That just more questions
0: (laughs) (laughs) wasn't super helpful yeah that's all i have from first chronicles do you have anything else
1: i do not kind of brought us to the end let's move
0: to amos yeah i think the biggest thing that stood out to me this entire book felt so relevant it was like he could have just been speaking this entire thing to me this it's an example of i feel like the tone of the entire reading from this week but it's chapter six three through six the part underlined it says woe to those who live only for today indifferent to the fate of others woe to those addicted to feeling good life without pain those obsessed with looking good life without wrinkles they could not care less about their country going to ruin but here's what's really coming a forced march into exile they'll leave the country whining a ragtag bunch of good for nothings i feel like for me personally I have like such mixed feelings about, and I'm always afraid to say this because I know that like there's nothing new under the sun. But at the same time, I just so feel like everything's going to hell in a handbasket all around us, you know, not just with the pandemic, but our governor has shut everything down again. And he's even put restrictions on, he's like completely entered into like the houses of worship and what they're allowed to do. Like he said, churches are not allowed to sing. You're not allowed to sing in church. That just seems like such over our overreach to me yeah but i mean i'm just looking at all of this and thinking it feels so real that things are getting bad and that nothing is going to be the same ever again for our specific country i just want god's hand to intervene you know what i mean i don't care Mm -hmm. how ugly it gets i don't like i don't need anything in this world Like, I just want him to make it better. I'm so anxious for him to come and make it better, you know? And if it has to get worse before it gets better, I'm ready. March us off into exile, whatever you have to do, Lord. It's just, this is just so bad. Yeah. It's so bad and it feels helpless. And I'm one of them. It's not that I'm saying have judgment on all of these people. Like I'm one of those people. I'm just, I'm the one who's living only for today, indifferent to the fate of others. I'm one of the ones who's Addicted to feeling good and life without pain and obsessed with looking good, life without wrinkles. Like at the same time that I'm that person, I'm also the person that's like, this is not my treasure and I really want you to come fix yeah. ex- it. Living for the promise. Yeah. Anyway, Amos really hit hard as far as just really speaking to where we're at right now in the waiting. And then it says in chapter eight, 11 through 12, oh yes, judgment day is coming. These are the words of my master God. I'll send a famine through the whole country. It won't be it won't be food or water that's lacking, but my word. People will drift from one end of the country to the other, roam to the north, wander to the east. They'll go anywhere, listen to anyone, hoping to hear God's word, but they won't hear it. And it made me think of like, that's the Advent time that we're coming on where he's going to stop speaking. That's for, silence. Yeah, for hundreds of years while they're waiting for... God to come in the flesh Jesus come but also on that judgment day this is what I love about the prophets and about our God every single prophet book of prophets ends like this I love it so much
1: the end of Amos is that what you're reading yes the last part
0: also on that judgment day the one I was just reading about where they're going to be thirsty for the Lord I will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces I'll repair the holes in the roof replace the broken windows Fix it up like new. David's people will be strong again and seize what's left of enemy Edom plus everyone else under my sovereign judgment. God's decree, he will do this. It won't be long now, God's decree. you are going to happen so fast. Your head will swim one thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Like that's how I feel right now. I feel like everything's happening so fast. We mm-hmm. talk about like how there's so much history in 2020. <laughs> they won't be able to yeah. like... They won't be able to study just 2020. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once, and everywhere you look, blessings, blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I'll make everything right again for my people, Israel. I love that the thought that like just as fast as everything is like spiraling out of control, like just as fast, He'll be spiraling it back into Mm -hmm. the peace. They'll rebuild their ruined cities. They'll plant vineyards and drink good wine. They'll work the gardens and eat fresh vegetables, and I'll plant them. Plant them on their own land. They'll never again be uprooted from the land I've given them. God, your God says so. It's a good ending. Yes. Let's go to Hebrews. Oh, I fell in love
1: with Hebrews this week. Yes, I loved Hebrews this week. Mm. Okay, this was my favorite thing that stuck out to me. Mm. I have tons of things written and underlined, right. but in Hebrews 11, we know this whole like hall of faith, right? Like yes. it talks about all of these people. Okay, at the end of Hebrews eleven, he lists people that I remember having conversations with you as we're reading through. Like, was this person doing it for the right reasons, or Samson? Yeah. Um, Jephthah. Jephthah's the one that sacrificed his daughter. Jephthah's the one that's like he does this thing for God. And then he's like, whatever the next thing is that comes out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to you. And his daughter comes out. Good. That's good memory. That's Jephthah. Well, I had to look it up. (laughs) And then Barak, I didn't look him up, but I remember Barak being like, kind of okay. You know what I mean? Like he was the one with Balaam, right? He's the one that the prophet, he said that he couldn't write. And he couldn't, I need to he look a back. Mom. I just feel like I remember his. Or- I feel like I remember his story ending not well, but this is just my memory. I looked Jephthah up. Anyway, so these people are listed in this because it says. In verse 32, he says, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, Oh who by my faith gosh. conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, yada, 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 like goes on and lists all these things that they did. So then I'm reading Hebrews 12, which like those first few verses of Hebrews 12 are pretty well known, I feel like, yes. for scripture. And it just... I read it differently because I had literally just read about these people who yes. I was totally judging their motives and judging. Here they are. I have their stories and I'm reading about their stories and I'm questioning everything about the, what they're doing. And then the writer of Hebrews lists them in the hall of faith. Like he lists them with Abraham. And I'm like, huh, well, who who also wasn't perfect? But then in 12.2, it says, or one, lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Mm -hmm. And it just made me like, it was like this reset in my thinking. I know that I can be super judgmental of others and myself. It's easier for me to judge other people probably than myself, but just the idea that it's about our faith, not our actions. Yes, but it's also about our actions because, like James, totally and it's not touches about, on that. Oh my gosh! But, but like it, I don't even. So the song that popped into my head—it's a Sovereign Grace song that we used to sing in church years ago. And but it's—I think it's called "Have Mercy on Me." But the whole idea is that if He counted all of the things that we'd done wrong. We didn't have a chance, right? But he doesn't count the things that he counts. The wrong. one faith he forgives us. Yes. Right. Exactly. Like all of those things I've done wrong, it doesn't matter. Like if God counted those things, I couldn't stand. If God counted all of those things that Samson did wrong, yes. And Jephthah did wrong. Yeah, you didn't judge you them stand. wrong. You were right. Their right. motives were not pure. Right. It's fine. Like that's the point. and it? yet yes, and yet they had faith in the promise. Like yes. that's the thing that mattered. And just to read the because I read them back to back and. It just was a really cool and Rahab the prostitute is mentioned in Hebrews and in James when James is because James is talking like almost the opposite. Like James, we read Hebrews and we're reading like about all the faith that these people had. And then James comes along right after Hebrews and is like, well, hold up a second. Faith is nothing without works. And so Mm -hmm. then Rahab is listed in that, which I missed. Which is true. Where is she? At the end of two, so James two. Well, let me start in verse 18. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Mm -hmm. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, so like if you just read that by itself, you're like, wait a second. But then he says, you see that faith was active together with his works. Like the faith, his faith is what motivated his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous. His act didn't save him, but his act was evidence of the faith that saved him, mm-hmm. right? In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different work? So, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I love that so much. James is still calling her Rahab the prostitute. She never gets over that part of like fully. You know what I mean? Like, that's what she's Rahab the
0: prostitute. But the works that James is referring to is her faith in doing good for the spy. It's like not her works as Rahab the prostitute. I don't know. Right. It's overwhelmingly encouraging to see all of those people and go. And then I didn't notice Sam Samson's name being,
1: but so in my version, it says, consider after all, after the first few verses of chapter 12, for consider him who endured such hostility. He's talking about Jesus for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Mm -hmm. Like just that idea that Jesus endured all of that so that we would not give up. Yes. And it's like what you were just saying, like, it's that remind, go back and like, go yep. back and go through all of it again to remind yourselves.
0: Yes. I would definitely say that my faith and my understanding of the importance of faith and actually understanding even what faith is, has changed this year completely. It feels so much more simple. And I think it started with Galatians and looking at that promise mm. that when when he says, when Paul says that we're made righteous through the same faith that Abraham had when he was given the promise of what was to come, that that they were children of that promise, mm-hmm. not of the law that came 430 years mm-hmm. later. And I've always thought of the nation of Israel as being a nation of the law, but that was never God's intent from the very beginning. So Paul, like just broke my brain at that point. But now I see everything through that, like yeah, yeah it's simple. I just have to, I, I need to know that I know that I know that Jesus saved us and he's coming again, yeah. period.
1: And everything that I do in between should be motivated by that one thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. At the beginning of chapter 11, faith is the reality of what is hoped for the proof of what is not seen. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking about that again. Like those are also familiar words, but the fact that the, that our faith, is the proof. Our faith is the reality. That's not how the world views faith as this hope for, like, I hope this is going to happen. Right. You know what I mean? But as a believer, my faith is the proof that it's going to happen. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And even like when we use the word hope, when scripture talks about our hope, it's not like fingers crossed, like hope this is going to happen. It's like, a for sure thing. Hope in yeah. scripture is like, sure, 100% yes. going to happen. Yes. And so just the way that those words, faith and hope are viewed. Faith
0: and hope are almost anonymous.
1: They're they're both, both, right. Like, in the scripture, the they're sure and the trust
0: that they are happening. So everything comes back to that. When I worry about anything or I see anything happening in the world, or I get discouraged in serving, or I get discouraged in my sin, it all then goes back to like, but Jesus, but Jesus, yeah. and he is coming, he came, and all I have to do is believe. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to read because Eugene Peterson's translation is beautiful. It is in five through six. By an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. Oops. Oh, 11. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. We know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. And that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Good
1: translation. Yeah.
0: Isn't that beautiful? In 12, verse 14 through 17, Work at getting along with each other and with God, otherwise you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted the impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears.
1: Well, okay, so this was this CSB version ends that section with because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. And so I was thinking about that, like, just the idea that so verse 17 says, for, you know, that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for re- repentance. Mm-hmm. So like, That's so much his better. heart was still like, he still was missing it. That's like, so he went back and wanted to inherit the blessing because he wanted the blessing, but he, he didn't did find that. any opportunity for repentance. Like there was no yeah.
0: like, so Mark. We're studying Mark right now. And I, the chapter that we're in is so good. It starts with the alabaster jar. The woman anoints Jesus with the anointing oil. She gives everything. People ridicule Mm -hmm. her. And Jesus says, she's done all she could. He basically rebukes them, sticks up for her and says, she's going to go down in history. Then we have Judas immediately after he goes and he begins the betrayal process. And then we have Peter who betrays him three times Mm -hmm. or sorry denies him three times Denies him, yeah. yeah falls asleep on him three times in the garden yeah. then he denies him three times after being adamant that he will die before he ever denies jesus mm-hmm. and thinking about like we kind of pulled this train of thought in our first day that what was awesome is i was talking about how i wonder whether jesus said to both of them at the same dinner somebody here is going to betray me judas knew that was him peter He calls out Peter and says, you are going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I won't. And then Peter does. And we see Peter like weep. We see him weep bitterly. And you know that he's experiencing repentance right there. With Judas, it makes me wonder whether that experience for Peter gave him some compassion for Judas, having both been called out at the same dinner, whether he recognized that he was capable, what he was capable of that he never thought he was Mm. capable of. Anyway, we pulled that train of thought to even consider the fact like that we are, Judas was not less than the other 12. We are all like, mm-hmm. he's the same as the other 12. And that you, know, Judas, we, you and I have talked about this. And in John, the account that we get of Judas almost makes you wonder whether Judas does come to a place of repentance. Yeah. Which is great because it kind of helps you to put, the, it helps you to put him kind of on the same level back with the other disciples. Right. But at the same time, it was just kind of the third that we pulled was that we are simultaneously the woman with the jar, Peter and Judas. We are all of those people, sometimes all at the same time. And that mm-hmm. I've been thinking about those words a lot. It says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's how the whole thing started with John saying bear fruit and keeping with repentance. It wasn't bear fruit thing sinless. It wasn't bear fruit and right. doing good works. It was bear fruit in keeping with repentance, which is turning, like a continual turning from mm-hmm. the sinning that he Jesus knew we were going to be doing, and he could call us out on at any moment. It's in our sin that Jesus is glorified. It's our brokenness. The fruit of our brokenness is His glory. It was a really great chapter to go. Like this is this is who we are, and it's repentance, which is what you were saying. It's the repentance yeah. it was always intended to be the part that bears fruit, not not our goodness, right? not even our faith. The fruit comes from repentance. The goal should always be to get lower. That's the
1: recap. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good place to end.
0: If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study You can find out more at divecollective.org under the Studies tab. And we will see you next week.